how are you doing? How are you feeling right now? We've all been uh, living our lives in the midst of upheaval, some of us in crisis over the last few weeks. How are you doing? Are you optimistic that, that things are, are, are turning a corner, that we're about to see new life? Or do you find yourself still unsure about the future, a mind full of questions? Maybe you're just chill because your life really hasn't been sidelined by the events of the past three months. Even though things feel like they, they may be at a standstill, I'm, I'm looking out at the, the traffic right now and I see that the world keeps moving. We keep pressing on and the world keeps moving in the, even in the midst of our pain and our joys and the uncertainty that, that lingers all around us. Amidst it all, do you know that there is someone who loves you just as you are? There's someone out there that has seen what you're going through and they, they want to help. There's someone out there who knows what you're going through and they are reaching out their hands to help pull you out of the despair that you may find yourselves in. There's someone who sees the cultural changes happening all around us and, and knows that you're weary, but says, come on over, lean on me, I will give you strength. That someone is Jesus. The faithfulness and hope through Jesus has not been put on hold. We're about to finish up the, the letter of James today, and for the past 16 weeks, we've, we've let James's words challenge us. We've let them give us hope and give us direction for our future. And like all good preachers, James is going to finish up his message with a, a call to action. And we're going to dive into that call to action today. As I sit back and think about how we started our study of this letter, it's amazing what's happened during this time. We started pre-COVID-19. And since that first week, we've experienced changes, new situations, and for many of us, like I said, upheaval like we've never experienced before. This is why James has been such a, a, a fitting study for us during this time. And if you've been with us since the beginning, you might remember that we talked about who James was and who uh, he was originally writing to. And as a refresher, James is the younger brother of Jesus. He would have experienced Jesus' teaching and even some of his miracles. But while Jesus was still ministering to his community, James was a skeptic. James, the little brother of Jesus, did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was. How could his big brother be the Messiah? Frankly, I think that would be our response from any of us who would have had a sibling come out and say the things that Jesus said and claimed what he claimed. Are you kidding me? I grew up with you. Jesus, you're a carpenter. I know who you are. James and some of the rest of his family were in such disbelief about who Jesus was and who he claimed to be that they actually thought he was crazy and they, they wanted to put him away. But after the resurrection, everything changed, for, everything changed for James. We find James in the upper room with the rest of the disciples waiting for the Holy Spirit to come just as his big brother Jesus promised. James was there at Pentecost, which we'll be celebrating next Sunday. He was in the house when the Spirit came rushing in like a great whirlwind. James was there when the church began, and he helped organize the church in Jerusalem. And he was there when the persecution hit those who claimed to be followers of Christ. And he was there as the local body of believers that he helped shepherd were dispersed and scattered to all other countries. And that's who he's writing to in this letter. A group of believers who were going through a really tough time. Persecution financial hardship, isolation from many of the people who had been deeply involved in their lives. And here we are. Here we are. Maybe experiencing some of the same emotions, some of the same physical needs, and, and some of the same social needs that the people uh, who James was writing to were experiencing. 
I don't know about you, but my routine and some of the things that I was looking forward to the last few months are, are still all messed up. Uh, we've had family plans put on hold, visits from family members, uh, they had planned to come and visit and now they, they just can't come. We've had celebrations that feel a whole lot different than, than in previous years. And some of you know that our family has been done, doing some work in the, the foster system, taking care of some kids, uh, being part of some support groups, and most recently for me, being involved in facilitating some of the training that families go through to get themselves involved in the foster care system. Days before we shut down, I was conducting my last in-person class with a set of potential foster families, and I was looking forward to the, the next set starting up and a few weeks later, and, and then all of a sudden, everything shut down. And we all started to think about how in the world would be able to bring new foster families into the, the system, into this, this training system, if they couldn't meet for classes. Uh, well, like everything else, uh, an online experience was put together and, and birthed a, a new set of courses, and so we dived back in in a, a new and a different way. The first set of lessons I was supposed to facilitate dealt with grief and loss. Man, that really hits home. What hit home even, even more was the, the first assignment that was given to the students. They were supposed to read about the life-altering events that, that many of us lived through on 9-11. And if you're over 20 years old, the events of 9-11 probably uh, impacted you deeply. And, and so my students, their first assignment of the course was to reflect on what happened that day, physically, and mentally, emotionally, and socially. And, and one of the things they had to do was read a testimony by someone who was reflecting back on the events of that day. And So let me just read what the author had to write. On September 11th, 2001, I, I was sitting at my office desk, and I worked in a large open room with lots of windows and, and sunlight. And all the room, although the room was spacious and bright, there were many desks crammed into this space. So my office mates were a mere 18 inches on either side of me, and I often felt caged. When the phone rang, and it often did back in 2001, everyone in the office would hear the conversations. Privacy was not something that could be had in the space. On this particular morning, just past 9 a.m., the phone rang in the, the cube to the left of me. The dialogue I overheard was a little different than most of our work phone calls. My colleague was being directed to put on the television at once. Her husband was home and wanted to make sure everyone was aware of the events transpiring in New York City. Because I have family in New York City, I rose right away and another team member joined me to put on the TV in, in one of the adjoining conference rooms. I remember that it was a gray, rainy day. That the room where the TV was was very dark and we stood and watched what was going on. I had so many thoughts running around my brain while watching the, the dark smoke coming out of the Twin Towers. It was a surreal scene. Something most of us only see in movies. I probably watched this for a good hour or so. It was like I couldn't get enough of it. Occasionally another member of the staff would join us, but mostly I remember standing there and no one talking. At some point I couldn't watch anymore because I felt like I couldn't do anything. And although I went back to work, I remember not being able to concentrate and searching the web instead. I was worried about my family in this city who lived and worked not far from the towers. I started calling and emailing, but no matter what I did, I just couldn't get through. I felt at, loss, at a loss of what to do. It, it, made me all feel, it made me feel very anxious. It was very hard to not know what was happening and if everyone was okay. Everything changed on that day, didn't it? 
everything changed. Maybe just reading through a story like that brought back memories for you. The, uh, the kind of memories that were the, where were you that day, who were you with kinds. I remember the start of that day very clearly still. Driving up to the office and, and pulling in a parking lot and hearing the news over the radio and then rushing in to, to watch on TV. One of the things that really stuck out for me were the actions of the frontline people. The frontline warriors of that day were the firefighters, the, the police officers, the first responders, and the people who were trapped in the two towers. And the stories came, uh, that day came from the heroes, they came about the heroes who, who ran into the danger, many who died trying to save the lives of others who were trapped or who were injured. We remember the actions of those who wouldn't let their own safety get in the way of their mission to, to rescue and save those in great need. This was a culturally changing event, and we are in the midst of a, a cultural changing event right now. And just as James was speaking to uh, people who were going through a, a terribly tough time, the words of his letter speak to us today. Now, a few things can happen when we encounter a crisis in our lives. One of the things that we can do is to rally around one another and rise up to the occasion and fight through the challenge together, overcoming it and, and being united in the end. And one of the other outcomes is that our relationships can get broken apart. We give up or we become focused on our own self-interests. We may give up on what we once held dear. James closes his letter with a challenge to those who are in the trenches. It's a challenge to not give up, but also an acknowledgement that it won't be easy and, and some people will give up. And the challenge for us is what should we do when people do wander away from the truth? James says in James chapter 5, 19 through 20, My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will, will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. James has given us a lot of practical advice through, throughout his letter. He's also acknowledged the pain and suffering that, that his friends were going through. It was a very tough environment in which to keep one's faith intact. Because of the pressure they, they were under, some of the people were wandering away from the faith. And James spends the closing sentences in the letter encouraging the church to make every effort to bring them back. Why should we do this, though? Wouldn't it be easier just to, to let them go? After all, I've got my own problems. I've got my own stuff that, that I have to work out. But James reminds us again and again of, of one important thing. We are family. We are community. Those who are followers of Jesus are united together. And James starts this, this last point by saying, brothers and sisters. With that, we are reminded of the connection that each and every Christian has. We are part of the family of God. We are, we are connected because of the work of Jesus, and we are brothers and sisters. And it's important for us to be reminded of this truth. The reality is, is that when, when times get tough or, or someone hurts us, we're, we're tempted to go after one another in negative ways or maybe just even walk away. We sometimes forget that we're family. But if you had a, a biological brother or sister or a son or daughter that was heading down a path of destruction, would you do all that you could to help them back on the solid path? Probably. But when it comes to the church, oftentimes we treat each other as acquaintances, someone we see on Sunday morning and that's it, rather than the family that we are. Our attitude is to each his own, and we walk down our own path, our own road. 
James has greeted his friends with the affectionate term brothers and sisters, and many times in this letter he's done that, and so I, I don't want to sit on that point too long, but it's important for us to realize that we are the family of God. Paul speaks about the importance of family and, and unity in the body of Christ in his letters as well, and one such place is 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 26, where it says, God has put the body together, the church, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. If you think back to 9-11 and those brave people who ran back into the towers while everyone else was running away, they were, they were going to get people they didn't even know. They, they didn't regard their own safety as paramount. All they could think of about was, was making every effort to save as many people as they could. James says there are family members who are in danger and how much more should we be making every effort to bring them back from their wandering. Now, James is not speaking about hypothetical situations, but rather real and and present dangers. He, He starts out affirming his audience as brothers and sisters, as family, and then says, if any among you, James 5, 19, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, This means that any one of us is is capable of wandering away. Your translation may use uh, the word wander, may use something like strays. The idea of wandering is an important one, though. It's the same idea that we find in in James 1.16, where he says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. This isn't an accidental wandering off a path, like if you were hiking and and you just lost where where the trail was. I've done that before. One moment you see the markers and the next year you're in the tall brush without a clue where the trail went. Wander here means to decide on your own that you're going to take a different path. You're going to intentionally leave the trail. You're doing so by your own choice. Well, what are we wandering from? James tells us what it is. They're wandering from the truth. The truth about being saved, uh, the truth about the saving message that, that comes from the gospel, the truth that we respond to so that we can experience salvation through Jesus Christ. Earlier in the letter, James says, Show no partiality as you hold on to the truth, the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. James is saying that the, the faith people once held, uh, they are now leaving. So how do we wander from the truth? What if I have a disagreement with someone over the meaning of of a verse or or scripture? Does that mean that they've wandered from the truth? No, no, no. No, the truth that James is talking about isn't focused on whether we believe uh, that there will be a rapture before or after the tribulation. Whether we think that that meeting on Sunday is better than meeting on Saturday. He's not pointing at at disagreements between whether the earth is a thousand years old or or millions of years old. But he's saying that... that there are some who have claimed to be part of Jesus' family, but their actions, maybe even their words, are not showing that they are, uh, they're, they're in that family, that they're part of that family. They're, they're actually showing that they're in complete rejection of what God has done for them. Their, their lives do not reflect the gospel that they claim to have accepted early in their lives. James would say that they're not bearing the fruit of the new creation. The truth that should have given them a, a spiritual birth is not being lived out. James 1.18 says, By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creator, creatures. 
We spent a whole day talking about James uh, chapter 1, verse 18, and how our lives are to reflect the, the new reality of this new creation. We are the first fruits that, are, that bloom because we are in Jesus Christ. And when we walk away from the truth of the gospel, our lives will not produce the fruit that God wants for us. If it was important for the brave folks on 9-11 to run back into the burning buildings and the towers to save people they didn't even know, how much more important is it for, for us to run in when we see our spiritual family wandering away from the truth? And you will notice that James doesn't say, hey, when you see someone walking away from the faith or, or living their lives out of sync with the teaching of Jesus, hey, why don't you just go to the leaders of the church and let them handle it? That's not what he's saying. Imagine, if you will, that you saw a neighbor's two-year-old wandering into a busy street. I'm looking at a busy street right now, lots of traffic. If you saw a neighbor's two-year-old running into the street, would you rush in to get the child out of harm's way, or would you put a call into the police or rely on your neighbor to notice that their child was in danger? I would say that most of us would see the need. We'd rush in to make sure that toddler was brought back to safety. James says, and someone turns him back. The word someone indicates that we are all responsible to do what we can. But, but all too often we might just think, well, I, I wish those elders would, would get on that. Uh, don't they see those bad decisions that, that that person is making? Tell you what, maybe I'll just send them an email and let, let them take care of the situation. Or doesn't all this conflict resolution stuff fall under the job description of, of the pastor? I, I think he better go take care of that problem. James says, we are all responsible to try and turn them back because we are all family. Turning them back means to help bring them into repentance. I don't know how to do that, you might say. I didn't go to seminary. I'm not a counselor. I've got no idea how to do that. For some of us, these things seem like a very scary venture. Well, let me just list out a few suggestions very, very briefly. First, be aware that there, there's a problem. If you've seen it with your eyes, if you've heard it with your ears, God may be putting you in a position to help. Recognize that. Recognize that. And, and prayer is always the right answer, right? We, we pray for the person who's gone astray. We pray that the Lord will bring them back. We pray for ourselves so that we have the right heart and the right attitude as we are trying to help. Be ready to teach them the truth in love and, and encourage them through love. In order to do that, you have to be living in the truth yourself. And So how, how are we doing walking with the Lord? Are there some disciplines like prayer or fasting or study or worship or confession or others that, that would help get you more connected in your relationship with God? One of the things that's critical, though, is making personal contact. If, if you're not part of the life of someone, you can't help. That's the beauty of the church. We, we are one body, united together. We are, we are connected as the body of Christ. And when that person pops up in your head and you wonder how they're doing today, maybe God has placed them in your mind is going to ask you to find out what's going on or, or how they're holding up. Maybe that phone call that, he, that he's nudging you to make, but the one you feel re reluctant to make, maybe that phone call is someone's answer to prayer. I know that the idea of, of leading someone to repentance can be scary, but we're called to make every effort to bring a wandering family member back because the blessings are worth the effort. One of the, the events of 9-11 was the heroic acts of the passengers aboard United Flight 93. After the passengers became aware of what was, what was happening on the flight, they took matters into their own hands in, in order to foil a plot to crash the plane into the U.S. Capitol building. Todd Beamer uttered the, la the famous last words, Are you ready? 
okay, let's roll. And each and every one of those passengers knew what was in store for them that day, but they, they bravely sacrificed themselves to save countless other souls. Whether on the planes or, or in the towers, all of those people who died in an effort to do the same felt that the blessing of saving a life was worth the possible sacrifice of their own life. And James says that lives are on the line and that death is the outcome for those who have rejected Jesus. In verse 20, James says that a saved soul is saved from death. Let that person know, he says, that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. To reject Jesus' offer of salvation only has one possible outcome, separation from God. If you're a Christian listening to this today, you know that we were all sinners in God's eyes. We all had turned our backs on him and we are slaves to our sin, but just like the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6.18, we have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness, meaning we desire to live a life pleasing to the Lord. We desire to use our gifts and our abilities for his work and plans and not our own because Jesus sacrificed so much for us. It's, it's our pleasure and joy to follow him. And when that salvation is rejected and our lives don't bear the fruit of the new creation, then it shows that we are still held by the bond of sin, needing to be delivered and covered by Christ's righteousness. And when someone helps to turn a sinner from the error of his way, his soul is saved from the death and the sin of his life are, are covered over, meaning he or she will truly be forgiven. What are our brothers and sisters, our friends and neighbors' souls worth? If you saw someone in peril, would you try and rescue them? James wraps up his letter with that challenge. He's given us a letter on what practical faith looks like, what it means to live out your faith in Jesus Christ, and he's acknowledged that some will fall away and fall away from the truth that's been offered to them. There are people, there are people out there who are in peril, and his challenge to the church is to pursue to work, to go after those who are in danger of being separated from God for all of eternity. Church, do we hear that call? Church, do we hear this charge? Will we take up this message or, or chop it off or treat it like it's a nice parting thought? To do so is to reject the whole message of James. I've heard a couple of people say that we need to get back to the church so that we can get the work going again. There are some who, who rightly think that the work is critical and and too critical to be shut down, too critical to, be, to, to put a stop to, and coming closer, closer here. I want to tell you a little secret. Let me let you into a little secret. The work hasn't stopped. Christ's church hasn't closed. Nothing in the book of James has told us that all of what he's, he's told us over the last couple of weeks is, is contingent on gathering as many people as we can into one location once a week. The, the work is still going on, folks, through, through you, through, through me, the world is still moving. I'm sitting here watching the traffic go by as we speak. People are still moving. The world is turning. And there are people out there that need to be reminded about what Jesus has offered to them. Hope in a time of hopelessness. He's offered them life when it seems like all we're hearing about is death or the potential for more death. If the world continues to move, it's certainly true that the church needs to keep moving as well. James in his letter asks us to, to keep on moving. 
I've been so encouraged by the stories of hope that I've heard over the last few weeks, the stories about people reaching out to those who are in need, stories of sacrifice, stories of the gospel light shining bright in our towns and our neighborhoods. We are the church, and we are community. And this is still true even if we aren't gathering together as one big family. The Lord is doing some amazing things right now. For many of you, God might be taking you outside the, the comfort of a building to, to actually be the hands and the feet of Christ in your community to, to your friends and neighbors. Take this time. Get those hands dirty with the work of the gospel. People are watching. People are looking to see what we're going to do. Will, will the only thing that they hear or see will it be our complaints about not getting to open the doors to some buildings you know, in the next couple of weeks? Or will they see a church that is moving and good works that are flowing and not confined to any one space? It looks like God is drawing in people who might not, never have listened to his gospel if the only place they could have gotten that was inside the walls of a church. There are eyes and ears that are opening, even today, to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you be the one to deliver that to the hearts that are looking for hope. James is leaving us with a, a high five, cheering us on as, as we accomplish the work of the Lord. It's your turn, he says. Get in the game. Step up to the plate. Let's not leave James hanging, though, as we close this book. Let's walk into our communities. Get those hands dirty. Use our feet. Let's pick up the phone. Let's write those letters. Let's, let's encourage people through social media and in whatever way that we can. Let's be the body of Christ because we are not just a church that, that gathers in one location. We are a church that is on the move. Faith Bible Church is going to be marked as a church that is moving in, in the work that the Lord has set before us. Will you join in on that work? Will you take James's words to heart and move forward in that work? Lord, we come to you today and First, we ask for your grace. We ask for your forgiveness if, if we have our, ourselves put the work on hold because we're just biding our time, waiting to see what happens. Lord, may we move forward boldly. May we preach the gospel boldly into the streets, into our neighborhoods, into our friends' and our families' homes. Lord, may your, your words be on our lips and your actions be driving our hands and our feet. We come asking for your power. We come asking for the, the power of the Holy Spirit to move us forward as one. Even while we are separated, we are still one. We thank you for that. We thank you for that gift, Jesus. And we come in your precious and holy name. Amen.